Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. As I've said, um, it's a really lovely, exciting day today. And if you're a friend or a family of the people getting baptised, then you are really welcome here at Riverside. Or if you're visiting us today for any other reason. We're really excited, as you've heard, that six people are being baptised. In a little while, <laughs> there's some excitement on the front row. You are going to have to get a little bit more lively. The, the people are going to come up and share their testimony. And we need them to feel supported. It's a big thing to stand up here if you're not used to it. So I want you all to be smiling and really welcoming to those six people. Yeah? Yes. Good. Brilliant. <laughs> Our last baptism service was actually in 2019. Can you believe that? At Riverside in the autumn. And we had planned to have one in the March of 2020 and guess what (laughs) that word covid so that put a stop to that and then um we had riverside had its own baptism last august uh, in form of a flood and so we couldn't have the one that we'd got planned then either but today is a special day because we are finally able to do it you might be wondering where are we doing it well it will become clear Um, But baptism services are generally one of my favourite services because we get to hear stories of how Jesus has changed and impacted people's lives and celebrate with them. So it's just so exciting. So why the large amount of water, you say? (laughs) Obviously, there is water down in phase three, a large amount of it. There'll be no sprinkling today. It's full dunking. So why are these people volunteering to go under the water? Well, water baptism is a symbol of new life. The water sort of demonstrates a before and after in the life of someone who has chosen to follow Jesus. Jesus calls us to repentance. And that sounds like a very churchy word, but in Jesus's original language, it simply meant to just turn around or change our minds. Jesus basically encourages us to change, uh, to turn our lives around so that we begin thinking about Jesus in a different way walking towards him and not walking away from him. Encourages us to change our minds from what we feel about God. Rather than thinking God is absent or unkind, he wants us to think that God is present and loving. And baptism demonstrates that we've made that change in our lives, that we've chosen to turn around. It's a demonstration to God, to ourselves and to others. And it's simply a public expression of a private experience. An outward expression of an inward reality, if you like, of something that has already taken place on the inside. It's a bit like choosing to get married and going to uh, have a small private ceremony at a registry office. When you make your vows and you sign on the line, you are married at that point. But then you might choose to have a bigger wedding celebration and invite your family and friends to join with you and celebrate. And we've been to quite a few people's weddings who've done that. But you are no more married on the big celebration than you were on that first day. And it's a bit like that. It's just a public expression of your love and commitment to God that's already taken place. And also having a service like this today gives the chance for you, the wider church family, everyone here to join in and celebrate with the people getting baptised, to get to know them and their story as well. Because by the end of today, you will get to know those six people and their lives and you'll be able to relate to them in a completely different way because you'll feel like you know them. You've got inside knowledge into their, their journey. And you'll also be able to affirm and support them from today and also going forward on their faith journey. There's nothing magical about the water. It's ordinary Whitstable tap water. It's, it's not blessed or anything like that. It's just water that we've warmed up a little. <laughs> I say a little because the heater broke on Friday, but it is warmer than freezing cold, isn't it, Martin? It's, it's tepid. <laughs> you know, we talked about Wim Hof and freeze the fear. Well, this is, this is when you're going to do it. <laughs> but baptism symbolises saying goodbye to an old life and receiving a new one. The old self is dead and gone. As so as we go into the water, we symbolically bury that person and leave them there. <laughs> Not literally. <laughs> Don't leave them under the water. We leave their self under the water. And the new person rises up out of the water, symbolizing that they are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone and the new has come, which it says in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verse 17. 
And we get the word baptism from the Greek word, I don't know if it's baptizo or baptizo. You can pick whichever you want. And the word means to plunge something into a liquid to permanently change it. A bit like dyeing a piece of clothing. So when something is baptised, it's um, permanently transformed. Now, there's no dye in the water today either, you'll be glad to know, so you're not going to come out a different colour. But the water does symbolise that a change has happened and a person has been transformed. Well, to understand baptism fully, let's go back to the time when Jesus himself was baptised. Let's read from the Bible in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Clicker. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the River Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So the Bible tells us there was this wild man who appeared called John. Even by the standards of Jesus' day, I'm guessing this man looked pretty unkempt and rough. He wore a very itchy camel hair jacket and he lived on a diet of insects, locusts to be exact. So high in protein, probably low in taste. His only treat seemed to be wild honey. So you can imagine that he had some bee stings to enhance his appearance. John was wild and he lived in a wild place, the wilderness. It was desolate, so there was no people around. It would have been the wild wild lands that surrounded places like Jerusalem. He had no shelter, no walls of protection, no amenities, just desert and wild animals. So he was a wild guy living in a wild place, and then he brought this wild message. He started speaking something like this. You need to get out of here and let me push you under the water in the Jordan River to signify that your life is messed up and you need to stop going in your direction and start going in God's direction. That's basically what he was saying. This was his message. And you'd expect that he'd have very little response to something quite so wild as that. And yet the Bible tells us that loads of people responded and went out to him. It says from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. I think that's a pretty nice picture, to be fair. He might not have looked as nice as that but there does seem to be nothing about John his geography or his message that was attractional in any way in fact it seemed quite the reverse what he was saying and yet all these people from across the area rushed to him to be baptized to be dunked in the water to this strange man in the wilderness that probably they'd never seen before they waded out into a river to be greeted by a hairy, unkempt man with locust breath to be pushed under the murky river water, all to signify a desire to change. Now, we're not replicating that today. You'll be glad to know. Martin and Simon have shaved. I hope they've cleaned their teeth. And the water is fresh-ish. It's quite fresh. Something in John and his message resonated with the people there and it pointed to something, someone greater. John said this in Mark chapter 1 verse 7 and 8. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism in water was a signpost to something more. Now, John was referring to Jesus. John baptised with water, but Jesus would come and baptise with his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that last week, didn't we? Julian spoke about it on Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit fell on the people. The people who are getting baptised today have already put their trust in Jesus. This is not the decision they're making today, as you'll hear with their stories. They've already put their trust in Jesus. And when anyone does that, they are filled with God's Holy Spirit. And in the same way these people get wet through from the water today, they're going to get soaked. Jesus promises to saturate our lives with his Holy Spirit. And it's this spirit that transforms us and gives us the love and the power and the hope to live differently. So John's call to repentance baptism was radical, but Jesus' call for people to follow him is even more so. Jesus says, oh, have I missed that one out? Sorry. There you go. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
John's baptism was and still is a symbolic picture of what it means to follow Jesus. We start by losing our lives as we go into the water. We choose to deny ourselves. We recognize, as John did, that someone more powerful than I is present here with us. And this is the person of Jesus Christ. When we choose to follow Jesus, we invite him into our lives to change us. We give him the steering wheel. It's a bit like you coming off the throne of your life and putting Jesus on the throne, handing over the reins to Jesus, to God. We ask him to help us live from a new identity, a new meaning and a new purpose. And that's what the people here today have already done. We're then buried with Jesus through the water um, baptism as we go under the water. That's what it's symbolizing. When Jesus died on the cross and went to us, sorry, went to the cross and was buried so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we might experience God's forgiveness. That old self is dead and buried. So the water is a symbol of that. All the dark stuff in our lives goes down under the water and we leave it there. We put it to death. And then just as Jesus was raised from the dead three days later to show he'd conquered death and our sins, we too are raised from the dead as we come up out of the water. So as these lovely people come out of the water today, it symbolizes that they are being raised to resurrection life. Remember, it's a symbol. They're raised to life through Jesus. They are saying, I have a new life in God. And in a moment, they're going to symbolically make that journey of following Jesus. They'll confess their faith in him through the stories that they're going to tell you. They'll go under the water. Their old self will be buried and they will emerge into new life. And it's so powerful. I wish I could be baptized again. Does anyone else? You may have experienced this in your own baptism. Today's a great time to remember that moment if you've already been baptised and recommit yourself to, to Christ today and say, Jesus, what do you want for my life? How can I best serve you? How can I wholeheartedly follow you? You may be someone who's chosen to follow Jesus, but you've not made that decision to be baptised. And I would encourage you to think about it today, to make that step of obedience in following Jesus at some point in the future, maybe in our next baptism service in the autumn. I talked to the guys afterwards today who've been baptised. Ask them, what was it that made you take this courageous step? Ask them how it felt afterwards when they've come up out of the water. Because being baptised doesn't make you a follower of Jesus, as I've said. These people are already following Jesus. But it is an important step along the road of following him. It's a really important thing to do for yourself and for the people around you. And Jesus himself was baptised. So if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. And he did it to show the importance of marking the change that he brings in our lives. And you may be here as a family member or a friend and you might think, I don't know what these people are talking about. And this might be one of the first experiences you've had of churches like this. And I want to encourage you that Jesus invites you into this story too. He wants to speak to you today. So maybe open your heart and say, God, what is it that you want to say to me today as I watch my friend or family member get baptised? What is it that you're inviting me into as well? Jesus didn't come for religious people. He came for the whole earth. He came for you and me and everyone. And it says in the Bible, this promise is for you and your children, for all who are near and far off. Jesus' call goes out to all people. So you're included in that today. So come to him and find new life. If you need to chat to any of us afterwards, then please do if you've got questions. And if we accept his invitation to follow him, The very thing we're most fearful of, which is losing our lives, I think we all fear that, is the very thing that we gain because we find them, our lives, completely and utterly in him. And we can then experience the purpose and the peace that knowing Jesus brings. And you will see that in the people that are about to come up and talk. So as as I've said, as you're listening to the testimonies and the stories, just open your heart, wherever you are on your journey, even if you've been a Christian all your life, you've been baptised 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10, just say to God, I want to recommit my life to you today. And just open your heart to say, what do you want to say to me? These are things that I can do to commit to you more wholeheartedly. That would be a great thing. I just want everyone today to be encouraged to move another step further towards Jesus. Wherever you are, just move that step further towards Jesus because we're all being turned into being like Jesus. It's a daily thing. We never reach it. So just keep turning your eyes to Jesus and be transformed as you watch and partake today in this service. 
So I think it's time we hear from the six people. Now, as I've said, some of them are nervous. Some of them have never spoken publicly before. So please give them masses of encouragement. Smile at them. Be praying for them. It's hard. It's raw, some of what the people are going to share. So the first person that I'd like to welcome up is Therese. So give Therese a huge welcome. Ah, microphone. This is, this is the hardest bit, I find, the microphone. But it seems to me that you can probably hear me loud and clear. Fantastic. Right. <clears throat> I have been looking forward to this day so much. A bit scared to start with and now just completely excited. And um, I must tell you that the Holy Spirit in my life, oh, wow. The first time, or nearly the first time I came to this church, he came to me during the service and was just there. Couldn't see him, just felt, not even him actually, just a huge, powerful presence. And, and I just knew then. Knees didn't buckle, wasn't required. I just needed to understand that it was real. And then since then, I mean, Lloyd and I were having a coffee in the cafe here, the lovely cafe, and we were having a little moan, as you do. You moan about various things in life. And I thought to myself, I mustn't think this way. And I felt this warm presence. It was like a hug, only it wasn't a human hug, because it, it started at the back feeling like a human hug, and then it just went right through me. It was the most fabulous feeling. And I just knew that the Lord was with me in that thought. We need to think kindly of each other. And at wildfires, I mean, oh gosh, so many people singing and worshipping together. And I've been so nervous about this because I, I've been wanting to heal. But the Lord doesn't give us what we want he, give us, he gives, gives us what we need. And although I've been wanting to heal all my life, um, I think now he's going to use me. I believe so. Um, but I am a bit nervous about this. And strangely enough, we were driving back from Cornwall and Lloyd put on the radio onto one of the lovely praise channels. Fabulous radio, lovely, lovely songs. And there was um, a talk brief talk and during that talk it was about getting what you want from the Lord um, and Lloyd and I had a discussion about this afterwards but I said to him I now realize it was almost as if the Holy Spirit had spoken through the radio it was incredible that I did have this I did have to do this for the Lord in the Lord's work and so I said to Lloyd this is it and and we talked about it's not what we want it's what we need to do the Lord's work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so, Therese, upon your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to baptise you in the name of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You okay? Amazing. Well done. That's Fantastic. Rachel, big hand for Rachel. I have a feeling this might be a little bit longer. Come on. <laughs> you don't have to do that up here. No, these are just nice. Well, I'm, uh, yeah. Oh, no, I need to. Hold on. I'm definitely not ready. Um, I've wrote these notes um, just for a little safety net, really, but I don't actually think me and my personality will read them. <laughs> but they're there anyway. That's just me. Um, 
So, yeah, when I was uh, younger, I remember praying, you know, I was this young, sort of innocent child, and I naturally would pray to God. Um, I grew up in a Catholic school. Um, I, grew, I went to school with nuns. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I, I naturally followed that path, but I always felt like something was missing. I couldn't quite place it. Um, I didn't... It was almost like I checked out, um, and I, it, I think as an adult now, I realised that it, it probably wasn't feeding my soul, um, and there was something missing. I believed in God, but it was the other parts of it that I was questioning, and I always had this outside-of-the-box thinking as a person, and I still do now. I'm, uh, Keely will know this, that I leave everything to the last minute, and I'm, yeah, I like this today. This was written this morning, and I thought about it for a long time, but, yeah, it was a case of getting up here and just doing what I do. Um, so, yeah, so as I got older, a bit like Charlotte, really, we've had very similar paths, Charlotte and I, um, and probably why we're best friends and we've we seem to follow the similar paths to things um but yeah I'd say probably I came away and then about five years ago I'd say I kind of I I didn't realize but I was probably on quite a destructive path most of my life um this is the bit where I get serious (laughs) um I've had a lot go on in my life um Yeah, through childhood and, you know, I've had, like, my father left when I was two months old. I had, uh, there was um, abuse in my childhood. Uh, Sorry. And then my stepdad joined our family and he was severely abusive to my mum. Um. And I, I witnessed quite a lot as a child. Oh, didn't expect that. And I grew up believing that I wasn't good enough to be loved by anyone, let alone God. <sighs> didn't expect, I didn't expect this. This is really important for me to actually say today because in order for me to forgive myself for my path, I need to say outwardly to people what I feel like I've done. And I've hurt people in my destructiveness. And I've, yeah, I've beaten myself up every day for that pain that I've caused people. Um... And one of the situations that I got myself in, I the best thing that came out of it was a beautiful daughter who's now three, Bonnie. And if anyone's met Bonnie, <laughs> she's very spirited. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but she tests me every day and she's got me on the path that I'm on now. And I, th- I feel that if she hadn't come in my life and turned my world upside down like she did... I wouldn't have got to the place where I um, started looking at why I do what I do and why it was okay to hurt people like I did. Um, Yeah, and what got me there? Like, And so I went to counselling after this event. (laughs) And I say an event because it was. It was massive for me. Um, And... Yeah, I, I, I'd done six, six sessions of this counselling session and, and at the end of it, my counsellor, she said to me, you'd be a fantastic counsellor. And I was like, yeah, I know. And then it was, it was like this massive moment for me. I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, and it was something that I've always wanted to do because I feel like I've got experience in a lot of things in my life and I feel like I could really help people. Um, and there's a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding of people's situations. And I realise now that hurt people hurt people. And that's something that I take with me. Like, You know, I knew inside that I, I was 
I was a kind little girl. I was a good little girl and I was kind. And I deserved so much more as a child. But unfortunately, you know, my mum done her best, bless her. She's not with us now. But unfortunately, she was hurt too. So she allowed her into my life and our lives. And that's something, that's a massive thing for me to to say about my mum because she was the best person ever. She was so kind and loving and caring, but she was in pain herself. And so I bring myself to this day and I, you know, I'm a mum of three girls. I don't like to class myself as a single parent because I don't see it like that. I'm a, I'm a mum, you know, and, and I've made mistakes and... You know, I've got children by different fathers <laughs> and I know I, I've judged myself for that and people will judge me and that's okay now. I'm okay with that um, because they are beautiful children. Um, and I just hope that sort of coming here, I, I'll take you back to the moment actually, just quickly. I was in a really dark place and I was, every time I passed past Riverside, I just used to think, I want to go in there. I can't. I want to go in there. I'm not going to. I want to go in there. No, no, you know, I felt so much shame for my past that I couldn't, I just couldn't bring myself to be loved or, you know, think that anyone would love me. Why would, why would a church, you know, in the past, the church, I was, I was going to hell. <laughs> you know, that's what I felt. I felt like if, you know that's my that was my upbringing i was i was a naughty girl i was you know why would anyone want to accept me you know so i i think it was at my darkest moment and i i dropped the kids off somewhere i can't remember where <laughs> and i just went driving um and i drove past this church and I just felt this calling to go in. It don't, I don't know. I was driving past it and then I turned in. And, and then I turned in and then I was in the door. And then I was in the door and then I saw Kim. And I just, it was almost like, help me. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Help me. Um, and from that moment, I introduced Charlotte to the church. And we've just been coming. And the love that I felt here is amazing um and the acceptance that I've felt is amazing um and even one night when I was really frustrated with myself because I could not forgive myself and I was like well if I can't forgive it why does God forgive me why like why would he you know and I phoned Keely up I was desperate I was just I want I wanted forgiveness I wanted to understand um and through my counseling training I I've been you know really working on my shadow self and just sort of really unpicking everything and I was like so if God can forgive me why can't I you know why can't I forgive me um and you you said the same words hurt people hurt people and that really resonated with me and I know I'm a good person I've got a long way to go in my faith um but I'm willing and the stuff that's happened since I've just gone, okay, go on then. <laughs> Show me what you've got. And I just feel, yeah, my family life's changed. Um, my girls are changing. I'm softening. Um, I'm not so ice heart. I haven't got that ice heart that I used to have. I used to keep everyone away from me, everyone at arm's length. And now I'm able to let people cuddle me, which is, yeah. My girls, I even sometimes go all out there and give them a cuddle, you know. But <laughs> no, they're very cuddly, my girls, and I'm a bit like, oh yeah, they're, they're, oh, oh. and now I'm like, oh, this is lovely, you know. This is really, this is nice. Um, so yeah, I just hope that coming here today and doing what I do, I'm I'm willing to let that old self go because I'm not the person I used to be. Um, Thank you. And sorry, I cried. <laughs> so, Rachel, on your professional space from the Lord, you can get back to arguing about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Yeah. <laughs>
Follow that. <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. Cassie's story is Cassie's story, and it's equally as beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I've also had to write notes, and I'm going to have to read them. <laughs> I only wrote this yesterday, so. Okay, so it was only a couple of months ago. It was only a couple of months ago that I was standing on this stage with my family and introduced you to my daughter, Isabella and shared a small part of my personal testimony. Um, And it's her story of how she came into the world through IVF that was the start of my own story, um, coming to faith, coming to faith. So infertility is a major life crisis and um, it it had stolen my sparkle. My inability to conceive a child naturally was emotionally crippling and impacted on my mental health. I I stopped um, working as a counsellor, a job that I was good at and loved, and became convinced that motherhood was not in my future. It significantly um, disrupted my identity, my sense of purpose, and my relationships. I was lost and having dark thoughts. I started to question the meaning of life and having big conversations with the Christians that I knew. And um, one prayed for me, another told me where to go to a local church, and the other travelled a distance to ensure that I crossed the threshold. Um, And we attended the Sunday service. And the story from there um, is that several coincidences occurred, actually too many to um, name and, and to believe that they were only just coincidences and nothing more. With nothing to lose and everything to gain, I started an inward conversation with God and would instantly find my response. And I discovered I was quoting scripture that I didn't know I knew. On the day that I surrendered myself to Jesus and agreed to do things his way, a rainbow appeared in the sky like none I'd ever seen before. And I knew it was for me. And, I, and it was in this moment that I was healed of my emotional hurting. I felt like I had travelled years overnight. Um, I felt peaceful, joyful, and was able to see that God's fingerprints had been all over my life. He had never abandoned me. I gained more than I lost through infertility, and my life and my attitude towards um, living has transformed. There is so much more I could add to my testimony and share about God um, and how he continues to show up in my life. Um, and the undeniable miracles that I have witnessed and all the blessings in my life that uh, he has given to me. It is uh, very much a feeling of inner contentedness and a knowingness and a conviction that I am loved by God. Fantastic. Thanks, Cassie. Bless you. Brilliant. For Cassie, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now baptise you in the name of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I told you it was amazing service. Isn't it just wonderful to hear stories? This is why Jesus told stories. So powerful. Right, big round of applause for Dougie. You're not emotional at all, are you, Dougie? No, no. <laughs> it comes from here. I've got a tissue, so don't worry. Yeah, so have I. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to stand right here with you, okay? You may need these. I'm going to stand right by you. Doug's spiritual journey. Highly censored. <laughs> Which is probably a good thing. Right. Um, I was christened as a baby. Can't remember anything about it, and nor could my three brothers. But we found the certificates when we cleared... Uh, my parents' house 
And so we knew when, but the church is no longer there. And then, oh, I was like this in my daughter's weddings. <laughs> and then my family weren't religious, so it was school, really. It was assembly, the Lord's Prayer, etc., singing songs and uh, religious instruction, which meant nothing to me. It was like another lesson. It was like a history lesson. And, uh, and that's where it went on for a long time. And we went to marriages at church and christenings, etc. And that's how it went on for years until I was in my 40s, 50s. Uh, well, no, to, until my late 40s when my body said it's time to pack up squash and racquetball. And do something more gentle. So there was walking, one of your five. And I did the Saxon Shore Way, Hastings, oh, Grayson to Hastings. And then when that finished, I decided to do the bit that was missing from Herne Bay round to Cambersands. I have one bit left, Dungeness to Cambersands. And, and then I took up more gentle pursuits, yoga, tai chi, meditation, the silence, one of Jake's five, and, uh, and particularly the meditation. I went on retreats for meditation four times a year. I went to yoga retreats, and things started changing. I was blessed. I had three lovely children, eight grandchildren, I did lots of reading, watched different things that are censored. And, uh, and then, in that period, probably in the sort of 50s, suddenly there was an awakening. And God wasn't any longer a belief or a faith. It was a knowing. I knew. Everywhere. God is everywhere, he's everywhere in here and everywhere. And life is miraculous. It was beautiful. And the message from his son Jesus was incredibly beautiful. And for me, simple. He showed us how to have heaven on earth. But I still had something missing. And um, as Rachel knows, I, I can relate to some of Rachel's. Things in life are not always smooth. But I, I won't be talking about any of that. So I, I was in a good place. And, uh, yeah, and it was clear the message was you can have heaven on earth. And Jesus died for that message. Uh, which we can't really imagine. But, yeah, I knew, and I was in a good place. Then things happen in life where it isn't so good. And uh, I was in a good place, but a lot in terms of religion was still history to me. And it wasn't now. And there was a bit missing, and I think you probably all guess what that is. And then... I'd visited a small town in Western Australia, 250 miles south of Perth, called Denmark. And it was paradise, one of the most unpretentious places I've ever been. And it had a pop the town had a population of about 2,600. The Shire was about 6,000, and the Shire is equivalent to Canterbury City Council. But they were beautiful people. But around me, I lived in a road about a quarter of a mile long. And just up the road was a uniting church. Behind where I lived was Roman Catholic. A hundred yards from one end of the road was a uniting church. Further down the road in the Women's Royal Volunteer Service was Harvest Church. There was um, a Baptist church, 
the Baptists met in the ambulance station hall. There was a Christian family church. This is literally all within a few minutes from where I live. But at the end of the road was one of the oldest buildings in Denmark, which was a wooden church. It was Anglican, which, being honest, didn't make my heart sing, but, but it was a beautiful space. And it was open from eight till five every day. And they looked after it, because opposite the car park was what they called an op shop and we call a charity shop. So they looked after it, and I spent many hours sitting in that space. <sighs> reflecting and speaking to God and it's a beautiful place and in 2014 a trip of three months ended up five years so I rented my house used to go to and fro to Australia New Zealand I have relations and friends many trips to Bali etc and after five years, it was time to come back, which was great because I love Whitstable. I love Whitstable people. And then COVID came. And I was very blessed to have a COVID, dear COVID friend Pauline. But COVID I didn't enjoy. It, it, it was a hard period. And, and I'd visited various churches in Whitstable. But then I had a eureka, we had a eureka moment last spring. And we were watching something on YouTube. And it was a couple from Norway who had a son of about 11. And they were told, if you want to take him on a trip, take him now. So they took him to a church and he was healed. But then I realised the church was in California. And it was Bethel Church. And I was like, wow, that is phenomenal. So then I looked up Bethel Church. Pentecostal, charismatic, what's that? So I started looking at it. And I got Bill Johnson's book, When Heaven Invades Earth. And wow, this was a new world. When I realised the missing bit is now not 2,000 years ago. So that was really special. And Pauline had often mentioned Riverside Church. So I said, I'll have a look online. And we went, I went Pentecostal, charismatic. And she said, oh, they have music, etc." And we started watching it online. The pastors were a bit scary, but, I, it, the, <laughs> but, but the music was good. <laughs> No, but it, you know, it was really good. And, and then when we could come, we come. But I was very guarded, as Simon and Keely will tell you. And uh, I was a bit of a grumpy senior who could be very short with people. And uh, I'll admit that. And some will probably say I still am. <laughs> but I don't think so. All right, Pauline knows I still am. Um, yeah, so this was like, Wow. And then we started coming here. We were press ganging, doing teas and coffees. Not by me, surely. No, no, of course not. And, um, and then we found our forte, putting cots up, checking they're all okay and putting them down again, cleaning prams. Can you explain that? Because that's a bit of a oh, random right, statement. Right, right. The Grow Baby Project is donated cots, so they need checking to make sure everything's there and they're okay. So we come here, we put the cots up, check it all, put them down, and sometimes we help help cleaning buggies and that, and high chairs and even potties. It's an amazing so, ministry. <laughs> so, yeah, and that was one big thing here, was the help. But that wasn't the biggest thing, because then there was all one. And all one for me was like... Yes, this is what Jesus wanted. This is what God wanted. And I realised there was a Holy Spirit. 
And then there was Colossians. Wow, that was phenomenal. And then there was Jews. And one week they said, who'd like to be baptised? And I went, yes, I would. Okay, now I'm going to finish with verses 7 to 11 from Psalm 19 from the Good News Bible. I think I've remembered it by heart. So I mustn't look. (laughs) The law of the Lord is perfect. It gives new strength. The commands of the Lord are trustworthy. They give wisdom to those who lack it. The commands of the Lord are right. And those who obey them are happy. The laws of the Lord, no, the commands of the Lord are just and give understanding to the mind. Reverence for the Lord is good and will continue forever. The judgments of the Lord are right and they are always fair. They are more desired than the finest gold. They are sweeter than the purest honey. They give me knowledge, your servant. I am blessed when I obey them. Thank you. I'd like to say a big thank you to the Riverside Church family for your love and life. Thank you. Dougie, on your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus, we now baptise you in the name of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Fantastic. And last but not least at all, give a huge round of applause for Chris. Well, I'd say I'm nervous is an understatement, but we'll try and get through this. Um, I woke up really early in life. I call this waking up to life. I got to university, completed that, and I thought, what on earth am I going to do with my life? And I thought, I don't know what I want to do. I did a degree in geography and environmental studies, and I didn't want to pursue that. And I thought, I'll chase the money. Go for the money. That's a good option. So I went to work in the city, and I was good at it, and I did very well. And I got to a point, and I thought, there's got to be more to life than just this. And I was sat in a, on my armchair at a beautiful flat in Weybridge in Surrey, overlooking a lake. I had a sports car in the drive, and I was working hard and earning big money, traveling the world with work. And I just thought, I just wasn't happy, just really not happy. I thought, there's got to be more to life than this. But I thought, okay, I'm going to go look for it. What is it? But I thought, in order to go looking for this thing in life, you've got to be able to buy your way out of the norms of society. And I call the norms of society mortgages and cars and debt and credit cards. You've got to have money. So I thought, okay, if I apply myself really hard and work diligently and all the hours under the world in the world really, really hard, I can buy my way out of society. So I did, and at age 35, I made some really sound investments, and I could retire at 35. I don't have to work again. As a single man, no marriage, no children, no responsibility. I can go and do what I want, where I want. And I thought, what do I do now? There's got to be more to life than this. And I thought, well, I don't know. I don't know. But I thought, I know what I don't like in life. And there are two main things. I don't like alarm clocks, being woken up when I don't want to wake up. And I don't like cold water, which is a bit of concern, saying the heat is broken today. (laughs) But I thought, if you start off eliminating the things from your life that you don't like, then perhaps life will improve, perhaps. So I thought, okay, well, what shall I do and where shall I go? And uh, I travelled to every country in Europe up to this point, and America and the English-speaking countries through work and things. And I just thought they're all variations on a theme of Western society and traditional values. And I just found it boring. I thought, this can't be what life is about. And although I had no relationship with God at this time, I would use them academically. And I would say, 
One day we're going to be at the gates of heaven and God's going to say to us, okay, I gave you legs as a human and I gave you a voice to speak and I gave you the ability to travel and flight and technology as this animal, the highest animal in the, uh, in the animal kingdom. What have you done with your life? And you say, well, I'm from Herne Bay. I stayed in Herne Bay and I once went to, I don't know, Reculver. And he'll say, okay, there's nothing wrong with that if that's how you are as a person. But when you come back in your next life, I'll, you can come back as a tree and I'll plant you somewhere you've got solid roots and you can stay there. And alternatively, I say, well, I've done all these things in the world. And he'll say, okay, you can come back as a bird and you can migrate across to Africa and see these other great things that you haven't had the chance to do as a human with legs. So I thought, I'm going to go and see the world. So I sold everything I owned. Uh, I had one red travel bag. If it didn't fit in the bag, I didn't want it. And uh, I moved to Thailand. And I thought, I'd go to a country where I don't know anything. I'll start again. I don't know the language. I don't know anything at all. I didn't know anyone there. And I moved to Thailand. And I thought, well, what shall I do? And I just, every morning, I'd wake up and i think, well, what do I want to do? So I'd go to the gym. And I knew I was a good person. So I thought, okay, you know, we hear that a few times today. We're all good people. And I thought, I'd just do things I like. So I'd go to the gym. And I'd go for a massage for two hours for three pounds. I thought, well, that's nice. And then I'd go and eat out, and then I'd go and sit on the beach, and then I'd go out to the bars and the clubs and party. Yeah, it was a pound a bottle of beer, and you could get hammered. And I was a single guy, and I led a hedonistic lifestyle. I thought, this is great. And then after a while of doing that, I thought, well, there's got to be more to life than just this. And um, I thought, I know what. I'll go to the Philippines, because that's like the Wild West. And um, they've got typhoons and earthquakes, things, and things don't work, and they've got... Um, pollution and crime and things. So I moved to the Philippines. And I got an apartment and started going to the gym and massage was two hours, well, two pounds, it was even cheaper there. And beer was 50p. And, um, and I thought, all right, what should I do now? And I thought, okay, I'll go hiking. So I thought, oh, there's a mountain road. I'll hike these mountains and things. And I would go out drinking and partying. And I used to justify my drinking heavily. And I think it's okay, so long as I walk one kilometre for every beer I have, you can burn it off. But at times I was doing 100 plus kilometres a week. So, you know. But I tend to be a person of excess. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to really do it. So I did that and I thought, okay, well, there's got to be more to life than this. So then I thought, well, I'm a bit fed up of things not working and typhoons and, you know, there's no money in the ATM machine and it takes you two hours to get money out of the bank and life is just difficult. I thought, I'll go to America. America's good. Let's move there. So the next 12 years, more or less, I just went where the, I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I just moved around the world trying to find something. And it would entertain me and I would be engaged for a while until I got bored. And I'll just give you like a very quick excerpt from a year I had. This is 2016. Started in the Philippines, went to Thailand for five days, then the Philippines for three days. Came back to the UK for five months. I had a health issue. And whilst I was here, a friend said, do you want to work, Chris? I said, well, okay, I do a bit of work. What is it? Driving Porsches, Ferraris, Bentleys and Maseratis. Thought, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then after five months, guess what? I got bored. And I thought, there's got to be more to life than just driving Porsches, Bentleys, Ferraris and Maseratis. Uh, went, back to, went to Germany for six days, the UK back for five days, Philippines for two months, the UK's for six weeks. My mum had cancer and she had her lung removed, so I was here to nurse her through that. Back to the Philippines for Christmas and New Year to get smashed, because I knew that when I came back in January, I was going to see my mum through her chemo and care for her. And I love my mum beyond anything, you know, like a lot of us have said, our parents are everything to us. So that was what my life would be, and I'd just wake up and think, what shall I do? I remember I phoned my friend one week, and I said, what are you doing next week? And he said, not much. I said, do you want to go to Hanoi in Vietnam and ride motorbikes to China? I said, okay, let's do that. You haven't got a license, though, Chris. Well, it doesn't matter. You can, you can do anything in Asia. And then I said, another way, do you want to kayak across Scotland? I've seen on the map you can go from one end to the other end, and then when we get to the end, we'll dump the kayaks and we'll walk back. But you've never kayaked before. Yeah, but it's just this, isn't it? It can't be that. It can't be that hard. And I just had to think of things to do. And I got to a stage in my life where I'd thought of anything I ever wanted to do in my life, I was done. And I was still searching. And I'd done everything. I mean, if someone says you'd tick off your bucket list, I said I'd finished my primary bucket list. So I was now having to think of a secondary bucket list. And then I got sick. I woke up one morning in the Philippines. My appendix uh, needed to be removed, emergency operation. So I went in and had that done. And um, that was all done. And then I got infected. And I was rushed back into hospital as the stitches all burst. And it was a messy procedure. And whilst I was recovering in the hospital bed one evening, I was lying there. My brother was in the room with me. And I thought, oh, it's getting a bit hot in here, isn't it? 
And I thought, oh, I can't really hear. And I thought, oh, my throat's starting to close up and I can't breathe. And then I started to fit out. And I was going into an anaphylactic shock. And I knew anaphylactic shock, if it's not treated, you end up, you can have a cardiac arrest and die. And so we got the doctors came rushing in and Pulp Fiction injected me everywhere to bring me back. And I lay there and I said to my brother, I said to my brother, the only thing I could think of was, having seen death in the face, can we pray? I didn't have a relationship with God. And so we held hands and we prayed. And I just said to God, God, if you get me better and through this, I'll leave the Philippines. Now, in hindsight, I should have said I'll turn to you, but I thought that was the only thing I knew. <laughs> but I got better. And as things, when you don't have a relationship with someone, I thought, well, I, I never said when I'm going to leave the Philippines, did I? You know, and I thought, and well, I missed a few beers. And so I carried on with that. And then I met La, my beautiful wife in the middle there. And um, I started dating La, and every Sunday, she, I knew she was a Christian, I would drive her to the church in the Philippines. And like a man who doesn't know God, I would go to the DIY store, and La would be in church, and I'd be looking around thinking, oh, how much are Dremel drills here compared to England? How much are hammers and things like that? And I was just doing my thing. And then um, our dating led to marriage, marriage and we got married. And... Uh, I wanted La to know how serious I was about marriage and that it meant a lot to me because up until that point, without God in my life, I'd said, I don't really believe in marriage. For what? What's the point of it? You know, there's no, no, I don't need to be married to tell you this. But I loved La and I wanted her to know how serious I was about it. So when I wrote my wedding vows, I promised La that before we left the Philippines, because we were looking to leave the Philippines, I said, before we leave, I'll go to church with you. And so the day came one Sunday morning, I said, right, let's do it today. Let's do it today whilst I'm ready to do it. And we went to the church, and I just cried. And I don't know why, I just felt joy over me. And I was in a you know, strange country, thousands of miles away, and we were there for half an hour, and the worship band were energetic. I mean, we think Jake's energetic. You need to go to a Philippine church. And they have, their youth do choreographed dancing on the front. And I'm there as a very British person thinking, God, this is awkward, isn't it? <laughs> so nonetheless, I thought there's got to be something to this for it to touch me, for me to experience that. We left the Philippines and uh, we were looking to come back to the UK. We went to Thailand on a belated honeymoon. And whilst we were there, um, COVID hit. And La was five months pregnant my mum's cancer had come back. We knew that was going to be terminal. So we're going to come back to the UK to see my mum safely through to death. And um, with COVID hitting, the Philippine government was saying foreigners weren't allowed back into the Philippines. And the British government were rumouring that foreigners weren't going to come into the, British uh, into the UK. So we had to make the decision on our honeymoon, what do we do? And we had to split up. And I had to go back to the Philippines. And I had to come to the UK because I didn't want to miss my mum dying. But I didn't want to miss the birth of my son. But I thought, if she'll be safe with her family and we've got each other and we'll be there. And, the, and I developed anxiety because as a control freak, you may have gathered, um, I was out of control of my life. Totally out of control. And the only thing that brought me comfort, this is a Bible from our wedding. And I would hold this Bible in my hands and Lara would cradle me in her, hair, in her arms and pray over me. And I felt safe and I felt protected. So I started to think, wow, there's something to this. And I met another friend out there who's a recovering alcoholic. And I said to him, how did you give yourself to God? He said, you just got to give yourself, Chris. You are not in control of your life. You don't have control of it. You have a bit of free will to do things. Just give yourself to God and he will look after you. So I did. And like many things... I gave myself to God and I said, okay, God, I give you my trust. I give you my life and I'm here for you. And so I've come back to the UK. Luckily, got the very last flight out of the Philippines before the airports closed. She came here. We gave birth. Well, La gave birth to our son. <laughs> I was there. I was there. Um, and we saw our mum through to her passing earlier this year. And... In regard to how has God now impacted my life since then, he's humbled me. Before my life was Chris-centered, and now it's Christ-centered. And I look at life now, and I think...
it sounds a cliche, and I think, I've lost my mum, but I found the Lord, and for that I'm grateful. Thank you. Chris, on your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus, we now baptise now in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.